Whenever uh, you meet people, whether they're Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, Christian, atheist, agnostic, whatever, the question, question quickly comes up, what do you do? Well, I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm an architect. I'm a software engineer. I'm in construction. I'm a teacher. Uh, I help the poor. I work with orphans. I work with people with special needs. Uh, everyone talks about their work. The problem is the more successful you are, the more money you make, the more surgeries you perform, the more sales you have, the busier you get. So we busy ourselves with the task of working. Joe Saxton in, Saxton in her TED Talk said that 2018 Gallup survey, 23% of Americans said they're burned out. 44% said they're burned out some of the time. And although we are busy working, we're not necessarily happy. Just look around and you can tell some people are not very happy. Even though there are you know, beautiful places to go, fun things to do, life is hard. We encounter things that are tough, and it can be sad. When we see hunger, we question why. When we observe senseless death, like the little six-year-old girl that was killed this week, we think, why? Senseless tears, needless loss. It causes us to wonder, is there more to life than death? Solomon writes, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. Uh, Solomon says, God has set eternity in the heart, the mind of every human in this world. We all have a sense that there's more to life than what we experience here. People who do not believe in God, you may be one of them, point to suffering and say there can't be a God. No God would allow this much suffering. But I think it's quite the opposite. Unhappiness on earth cultivates a hunger for something beyond this world. When we experience suffering or see somebody else suffering, we just naturally think, this is not right. There must be something more. By gracing us, with a deep dissatisfaction with the way things are, God holds our attention. If this world was perfect, everything was easy, we wouldn't seek God because we wouldn't need Him. Though it's hard to understand, I actually think suffering is part of God's plan for this world. Things are not perfect. Things are hard. The only tragedy then is to be satisfied prematurely, to settle for earth. 
We're not happy here because we're not supposed to be. This is not our home. We're like strangers in a foreign land. Take a fish. Comes up on the beach and you watch its gills, you know, gasp and its scales, you know, dry up. And well, what do you do? You, you give it a, a, a you know a, a lawn chair and and sunglasses. You cover it with a mountain of cash. You give him a you know magazine and a martini. What, what's going to make the fish okay? You have to put him back in the water. That's what the, he's made for. Fish is never going to be happy until he's in his own element. It's the same with us. You'll never be completely happy on this earth because you were not made for earth. Oh, you'll have your moments of joy, a baby on your breast, a bride on your arm, sunshine on your back. But even those moments are like just slivers of light that God is shining down on us to give us a taste for the future. The Apostle Paul writes, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. He says, heaven is beyond our imagination. It's so great, we can't even envision it. Anything you imagine is inadequate. But until then, be realistic. Lower your expectations just a little bit. This is not heaven, so don't expect it to be. There will never be a newscast with no bad news. There will never be an end to the partisan divide. There will never be a new car or a new baby or a new mate that will meet all of your needs. Only God can do that. While on this earth, with the suffering and the sadness we experience, what is our work? What does God want us to do? This is the third in our series called Jesus Curriculum. Uh, Beth Werner, our, our children's minister, uh, grew up in Washington, D.C. under the pastorship of uh, Dick Halverson, Fourth Presbyterian Church. He, was, uh, he, uh, he left that church and became uh, chaplain of the Senate in 1981 to 1995. She was also under the mentorship of Doug Coe. When her father died, when she was 14, her best friend was uh, one of Doug Coe's uh, six kids, and, and so she spent a lot of time in their home, and, and she would hear him share. Doug Coe was the leader of the, uh, the fellowship. He traveled to all 196 countries in the world, and he would teach uh, seven key things that Jesus taught his disciples to leaders around the world, and Beth would hear him uh, quiz his children at the dinner table. And so here are the, here are the seven uh, questions. What is the purpose? Remember a couple of weeks ago? 
Our purpose is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. What is the gospel? We talked about that last week. The gospel is a person. It's not points about Jesus. It's a person, and his name is Jesus. Today, we'll look at what is the work. Uh, Next week, what is the ministry? I'll share our vision, my vision for the church. What is the church the following week? What is the method of leadership? And what is the kingdom? Today, I want to ask, what is the work? What is the work God wants us to do? Teenager, single, married, parent, grandparent, you have to know the answer to this question. Parents, you need to talk to your children about what is the work God requires of us. Jesus is teaching near the Sea of Galilee. Many people are listening to him. Uh, uh, He feeds uh, 5,000 people from a little boy's uh, lunch of, of fish and bread. And it's, it's 5,000 plus wives and children. And after he does this, the people are so amazed, they want to make him their king. Well, Jesus uh, sends the people away. He goes to a place to pray out in the wilderness, and he sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee. Well, a storm comes up in the middle of the night, and the disciples are terrified. So Jesus comes to them walking on the water. And then they they come to the other side. And the people, you know, they're always looking for Jesus. They find him and the disciples on the other side. And they begin to pepper him with questions. Here's one question they asked him. What must we do to do the work, works, God requires? They, they want to know what works does God require of us. They wanted a checklist of religious duties they needed to do to meet God's requirements. Religious always tends to think in terms of minimums. What's the least I can do to be acceptable to God? My wife, Jory, is in her last term of uh, getting her master's in early childhood education at Portland State. She's gotten an A in every class. And guess what her average score is in every one of those classes? 100%. I say to her sometimes, come on, let's go to bed. Yep, Can't you just go for a 95? Or how about 92? That's still an A. I mean, that's the way I did school, the least possible to get an A. That's the way we tend to think. You know, what's the least work I can do to be acceptable to get into heaven? But when you love God with all your heart, you think differently. You think in terms of maximums. What all can I do to please God? What works do you want me to do, God? Jesus' answer shocks them. They ask what works God wants them to do. What definite actions does He want them to take? Jesus answers in the singular. He says there's only one work God wants you to do. Jesus answered. 
The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. Jesus is referring to himself, the one God sent. While the Jews and many in the church today presume that the work of God is fundamentally actions that we're supposed to take, Jesus says the primary work is to believe in him. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus discusses belief more than work. The most important thing, most important work for us to do is to believe in Jesus Christ. So what is the work? The work is to believe in Jesus. Folks, we miss this. We spend more time working, worrying, spinning about. But Jesus wants us to spend more time believing, trusting, and praying. He wants us to see that the gospel is a person, and it's Jesus. It's a relationship with Christ. It's turning to Him in all situations. Christ wants us to believe in Him. That's our work. That's our number one job. So let's just all take a breath, blow it out. Think about your life and all the stuff you're doing. How stressed you are. Say, okay, God wants my number one job not to be working, but to be believing. That means in all situations, you stop rather than just, mm, out you go. You settle down and say, okay, God, I, I need your help. I don't know how to do this. I need to believe in you more to help me through this situation. I don't know how to handle this. That's your number one work. In Mark chapter 9, Mark tells about a demon that Jesus cast out. Jesus was returning from the uh, transfiguration. Transfiguration is when he took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain, and he was transfigured into his eternal glory. In other words, what he was before he came down to earth, the eternal Son of God. And it was an amazing moment. When they came back, they found the other disciples with a crowd around them, and they were arguing. Jesus says, what's going on? A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Spirit's a, a demon. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. The man was frustrated. He had tried every doctor and priest. He heard about Jesus. But the disciples couldn't help no one could help him. He was desperate. His son was possessed by a demon. He spent all his time just trying to keep his son alive. He was like on duty 24-7. He was exhausted. Jesus answers, you unbelieving generation, how long 
Shall I stay with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. He's expressing his frustration that he's taught his disciples that he's the Son of God and he has all power. Why can't they believe in him and cast out this demon? So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, so Spirit is inside a person, when it recognizes Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. Now the father of this demon-possessed boy prays. Listen to his prayer. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Doesn't sound like very confident believing, does it? This man was not a prayer warrior. If you can, said Jesus, like, really? If I can? Are you serious? Everything is possible to the one who believes. Jesus says we have great power available to us if we believe. God said to Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? The answer is no. You can do anything. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Now, this prayer is not designed for a worship manual. But it was enough for Jesus to cast out the demon and heal the boy. The father's confession reveals that faith is like a battleground. We're always fighting between belief in God and disbelief. The world, our flesh, the devil will do anything he can to stop us from believing in Jesus. If the work that God requires of us is to believe in Jesus, we must strive to trust Jesus at every moment in our lives. Like Noah and his family did, they took about a hundred years to build the ark. All the people were laughing at them. They had to believe God's command. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. Jesus never wanted to make a scene. He was never trying to draw a crowd and, and, and impress people with his miracles. So he wanted to get it done before the crowd gathered. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Uh, Jesus responded not to the eloquence of the man, but to his pain. You don't have to be practiced at prayer. You don't have to be great. You just have to cry out to Jesus. You just have to pray. Believe in him enough to pray. 
God, I don't know how to do this. I need you. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Jesus is saying there are some matters we're going to face in life that are too big for us. And those things can only be dealt with by prayer. You may be facing something so overwhelming in your life that you've been stopped in your tracks and you've said, I don't know how to do this. Health crisis, marriage problem, trouble, one of your kids, financial problem, something at work. Not enough money to pay your bills, an addiction. You've come to the end of your rope. You're facing an only by prayer situation. Jesus says there are some things that can only be solved by prayer. You coming to God. When we're faced with a problem we don't know how to deal with, we must pray. And if, like the man, you don't have enough faith to pray, then you say, God, help me with my unbelief. This is a great way to pray. Lord, I, I prayed this way this week. Lord, I believe that you're all-powerful. I believe that you love me totally. But in this situation, I just simply worry. I don't know how to fix this. We have a problem going on in our family right now, and every time I try to help fix it, it gets worse. So we pray, Lord, help me with my unbelief. What is the work? The work is to believe in Jesus. Jesus calls you to believe in Him, and when you do, He responds in power. In Luke chapter 7, we read another account. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he was teaching, he entered Capernaum. Capernaum's right by the Sea of Galilee. There a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. Now, centurion is not a Jew. This is a Roman. He rules uh, over 100 soldiers. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this. You know, he's not a Jew, but he's done a lot for our nation. He's basically paid for our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Sent some Jews on his behalf. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one to go and he goes. I tell that one to come and he comes. You can do the same thing, Jesus. 
When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. Turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Does Jesus find that kind of faith in you? You believe that Jesus can just say the word to, to deal with the problem you're facing? Anybody who's adopted a child knows that it's a difficult process. Jory and I have four biological children, and we adopted five. We have nine kids. Adoption process can be as long as a nine-month pregnancy or even longer. There's lots of paperwork. Uh, it costs a lot of money. And there are lots of ups and downs. You can go through the whole process and come to the hospital and the birth mother can say, sorry, I was just kidding, changed my mind, I'm keeping the baby. In a foreign adoption, the government can stop the whole process in a moment. You've spent all that money and gone all this distance. Sorry, we're not doing adoptions anymore. Margot Enberg tells her story of adopting their children. Watch her. We went to Guatemala to adopt a baby. We went through an agency. We did several visit trips. And on our second visit trip, we were on the elevator with um, the facilitator who was bringing the baby to our room. She had two older children, and they looked up at her and asked if we were adopting them. But they asked in Spanish, and we didn't know any Spanish. And so we asked what they said, and they said that they wanted to know if we were adopting them. And my husband said, yes. And I said, did you say that out loud? Because I'm pretty sure they know what yes is. And they did. Um, later that day, we found out they were going to meet another family, and we found out that the family didn't want them. And we were, we just couldn't imagine that somebody told them no. The facilitator assured us that they were used to that. And um, that just broke our hearts. We thought, I can't imagine being used to being told that I wasn't adoptable. So we um, started the process that day of adopting those kids. Um, we didn't have any money for an adoption to do two more kids, so it was definitely a walk of faith. Um, we decided to put them on our credit card <laughs> with the faith that somehow it would be restored, and it was. That was where our story of Pinkabella began. When I met those two older kids, they had never had a birthday party, and they couldn't wait to have a giant piñata because that, that's what they had seen um, around the streets of Guatemala, but also they saw birthday parties in the movies. So they told me that they wanted cupcakes, and I'm like, that's so simple. Like, I can do cupcakes. Meanwhile, the cupcake rage was going on all around me, 
and friends were like, you need to set up a website, you need to sell your cupcakes, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to sell them, I just want to do this, but I, I started having a bigger dream, and the dream was that if we sold enough cupcakes and made a ton of money, that we'd be able to give back to organizations that helped kids in need. And on opening day, we sold 2,000 cupcakes. That very day, we wrote our first huge check to an organization that we were working with. Our dream and our passion of being able to do something bigger than just selling a few cupcakes online, that it was going to go for the reasons that we said, it just made it become a reality for me. I had to make a decision about hiring somebody that most people would not find desirable to hire. I felt in my heart that hiring her would be a way to possibly reach her. That was placed in my heart because of my faith. My faith to believe in people, my faith to want to honor God through loving people and helping people and we're all about helping children in need and people so for me it was just another kind of person I was going to help. When I first opened Pinkabella it was all about the giving, the money part of it and I saw that as an avenue to give back but as it's evolved and I've had numerous employees and young girls that I've been able to mentor, kind of become a mom to, um, customers that have stood in my store and cried because they were buying cupcakes for a friend who just lost their child. I've had so many opportunities to be able to give people a little bit of God's love um, just by being present. It has become so much more than just giving financially and monetarily, it's been a huge outlet for me to be able to pour out love and care for so many people, from employees to customers that walk through the door. All right, so they go to Guatemala to get a baby, and they see a couple other kids and decide to adopt them. That took faith. They didn't have any money to add on two more kids, and uh, so they just stepped out. It took faith to start this business, this baking uh, business, um, and uh, you know, it was. It was. She's just saying, basically, it was just. It was faith for every step uh, they took. Uh, what is the work? The work is to believe in Jesus. When you believe in Jesus, you're actually doing the work of God. You believe in Jesus, and He will work. You pray, He works. That means you can do the work of Jesus even when you're sick in bed. Starting today, I'm committing myself to working less and believing more. That when I face a problem, rather than just charging the problem, I'm going to stop and say, Jesus, help me believe you for this, rather than worrying so much about it. I worry way too much. You want to join me? The work that God requires of you, 
is to believe. doesn't mean you're not going to work, but you first believe, you first pray, you first trust, and you go armed with that confidence into whatever you've done. If you've never committed your life to Jesus, you can do so today. You just say, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe you came to this world. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you were raised from the dead. I want you in my life. I believe. And if you've already committed your life to Christ, tell him in the face of whatever you're struggling with today that you want to believe in him more and worry less. Believe in him more and believe less in your ability to fix problems. Lord Jesus, you say so many unusual things in the Gospels. You've surprised us, surprised us three times now in these three weeks with answers we didn't expect. What is the work? It's to believe in you. And so help us to do that this week. You want to tell Jesus that right now? Tell him what you're facing. He already knows how tied up you are about it and don't know what to do. And tell him you're going to believe more in him that he knows how to solve this problem. You pray or commit your life to Christ right now if you haven't. You pray. very liberating, Jesus, to know that you tell us that the number one job we have is not to work, but to believe and to do our life through a relationship with you. Help us to do that. And Lord, we're going to do that right now by remembering uh, through communion your death and resurrection on our behalf. Uh, may this be a high point in worship for everyone here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.